friends, it's Haley Hines, aka Bird, and you are tuning in to the Give Them the Bird podcast. This podcast is all about challenging what it means to be healthy and fit. It's about celebrating sustainable behavior change and non-scale victories. And most importantly, it's about giving the bird to the diet industry and societal expectations of body size. Why? Well, because at the end of the day, you have an entire life to live that does not require your body look a certain way. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's give them the bird. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and GTB listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash give them the bird. You've maybe heard of BetterHelp. It's customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. You all know I'm a huge advocate for therapy, and I'm lucky to have a long-standing therapist who I meet with regularly, but that was not always the case. I remember before having decent insurance that I had to stop going to therapy because it was so costly out of pocket. Luckily, BetterHelp is way more affordable than what I was paying. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist who you can start communicating with in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There are a broad range of expertise available, which may not be available locally depending upon where you are located. So if you're looking into affordable therapy options and are open to online, check out betterhelp.com slash give them the bird for 10% off your first month of therapy. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash give them the bird. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Give Them the Bird. I'm Haley, a.k.a. Bird, and in today's episode, I chat with Laura Vochelle. Laura is a 35-year-old feminist, nurse, mom of two boys ages 10 and 5, and a spouse to a dental student at the University of Iowa College of Dentistry. Go Hawks! (laughs) She has survived two babies with colic and postpartum depression, and all of the boys in her house have ADHD, which is another struggle she deals with. Laura has had a mixed relationship with her body since she was pretty young and is a previous disordered eater. She was on the University of Iowa women's rowing team for a short bit, which you'll hear actually helped with some of her restrictive eating patterns at the time. Laura is currently at the heaviest weight she has ever been at and says that she is, quote, doing daily work to appreciate all the things this body has done instead of focusing on what I wish it looked like. Laura and I actually connected through the podcast, which is super cool. Um, To give you some backstory, my niece and nephew used to go to the same daycare as her son. So my sister is actually a mutual connection of ours. And we first started chatting on Instagram about some of the topics covered in the podcast, right? Like your relationship with food and movement, diet culture, body image, etc. And then we got to virtually meet at one of our GTB coffee chats, which if you're not familiar with what our coffee chats are, um, it's basically an opportunity to hop on Zoom with a group of cool people and talk about your experiences with the shit we cover on the podcast. So body image, um, relationships with food and movement and all of that. If you're interested in being notified when our next coffee chat will be, you can head on over to gtbcoaching.com and scroll down through the homepage and there's just a little banner that um, allows you to put in your information just to be notified via email when the next one is scheduled. So we met virtually through the through the coffee chats um, and then within the last month or so, We recorded this podcast episode, and then we got to meet in person at a local event, which was super fucking cool. Um, It was a kind of a weird experience to like care so much for somebody and like be friends with somebody online (laughs) and then to actually meet in person and get to hug. Um, We live in the same area, but due to the pandemic, we, you know, we were being safe and hadn't met up. So that was really cool to actually see each other in person. But yeah, over the last like eight-ish months, as I've learned more about Laura and gotten to connect with her, I have grown to really appreciate her openness and candor and the way that she uses her experiences to help others feel comfortable with where they're at. Um, And that's really why I wanted to have her on as a guest. Like after chatting with her, there was no doubt in my mind that what she has to say is impactful and it's so refreshing. You know, she shows up as she is. She doesn't try to be somebody she's not. She's extremely genuine, and that feels just really good to be around. So in this episode, Laura and I dive into a variety of topics. We talk about her work in healthcare and how she has witnessed folks in larger bodies not receive proper care due to their size. 
Laura details her experience with disordered eating and how her relationship with food and movement has changed over time. She shares how it started after a breakup and just how it's morphed and shape-shifted over the years. So a little bit of a trigger warning, we do mention specific calorie counts and some restrictive patterns. So if you are somebody um, that might be sensitive to those conversations, please feel free to either skip over that or just um, skip this episode and do something to take care of yourself instead. Uh, Laura and I also chat about the role that control has played in both of our choices with food and movement and the importance of grooming your social media, which that's a phrase Laura uses, and I freaking love it. I'm definitely going to be using it more often. We also talk a little bit about food marketing and labeling after we both listened to an episode of The Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard, which is a cool-ass podcast. Um highly recommend it. But we both listened to it and we thought it was really interesting. So we wanted to talk a little bit more about it. Overall, Laura talks parenting. She talks body changes and so much freaking more. This is just a really cool episode with an amazing woman. And I am so excited to share it with you. Before we dive in, I just wanted to remind you that if you enjoy this episode, if you're enjoying this podcast, feel free to leave a rating and a review over on iTunes and share your thoughts with me on Instagram at Give em the Bird Podcast. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the amazing Laura Voschel. Let's kick it off by, I know that probably several of my listeners know you just from like our coffee chats, having hopped on and, and met you there, but give us an introduction of you. Who are yeah. you? Hello. So I um, am a mom and a nurse and a dental school student spouse. Um, we moved here to Iowa City three years ago now. Um, so my husband could go to dental school. I'm originally from Des Moines and um, just kind of that general area. So still trying to kind of like meet people over here and knew absolutely no one when we moved over here. Um, have two kiddos. One is nine, almost 10. And the other one is five. Um, two boys that are very rambunctious and both are diagnosed with ADHD, um, as well as my husband. So I am the only one in the household without it. <laughs> so that layers more chaos on top of everything. Um, and so I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse since 2008, which would be 13 years now. I'm like, what year is it? Crazy. <laughs> wow. Um, and I've worked in a bunch of different fields. I started off um, in the hospital doing just general floor work, and I worked at um, Planned Parenthood Clinic in Des Moines for a couple of years. And then I worked um, at the VA in Des Moines in their tele-ICU unit, and then moved into the insurance nursing world, and that's what I do now. Um, I work from home. Since I knew we were moving over here, um, I would was, didn't want to have to like deal with getting a whole new job when we moved here. Mm. So I started a work from home job, luckily before the pandemic and had all of that down prior to everybody you had else. You one up on all of us. <laughs> exactly. You knew what you were doing. Yeah. I was like, welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've worked in a variety of different settings, like working both at Planned Parenthood and, yeah. v and the VA. Um, yeah. Those are like very two distinct populations. So yeah, I'm curious what it was like working in those two locations as a, as yeah. a nurse. Kind of the whole spectrum of mm -hmm. um, patients and the healthcare industry as it is. Um, and it's hard to say like healthcare industry, but it really is. Um, it's not, we all know it's definitely not as good as it needs to be. Um, right. and it, what I kind of learned being in it is it's more, um, treatment-based than preventative-based. Mm -hmm. And even in working like in insurance, it's a lot easier to get treatment approved for things than it is preventative things. Mm -hmm. um, and it just all is where the money goes. And it's hard to even promote healthy behaviors in people who um, their baseline is so not healthy as it is. Mm -hmm. um, when you're just trying to get back to a good baseline to even then be promote health beyond that, um, I found was like a hard part of being in the hospital. And then like the repeat with um, my VA population, the repeat people you would see over and over again. And like, you're, like, you're just never going to get real good at that mm -hmm. point. Um, and it's just, 
it's disheartening to to know that and to see that in people um, and to know that that's just kind of the way the system's set up right now. Mm-hmm. I even think about, you know, like as it relates to, you know, this, this podcast, and like what we talk about, even like people who live in larger bodies, like a lot of times their, their conditions get misdiagnosed or, you know, even pushed off. Like they can be prevented with like diet and exercise. And then by the time they actually get the, you know, the help they need in so many situations, it's like too late. Like there was a, there was an example of um, a woman that kept going in for digestive issues And I don't, I'm trying to remember the story exactly. And she had posted about it and she was like, they keep telling me that it's like, you know, if I just lose weight, if I just lose weight, blah, blah, blah. Well, ended up being that she had stomach cancer and was giving, given like, I don't know if it was a considered terminal or not, but. Oh my gosh. And definitely with the, um, the treatment that you receive, if you're in a bigger body, um, it always kind of just initially focuses on those things versus the more obscure things that they will look at with a thinner body. And um, like if the gurneys in the hospital, if they don't fit, or if you're in a facility that doesn't have like an MRI machine that you can fit into, um, or an operating table that you can lay on, or a wheelchair that you can fit into, like, it's just, there's so many different aspects of it that people who live in bigger bodies have to deal with that people like you and me who have more acceptable bodies don't even think about. Like I can always just go sit in a chair, but it's, it's gotta be so hard. Like you, you don't really think about it until you're running around trying to find a bariatric wheelchair for somebody and Mm. you can't find one. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting too, that Um, I was listening to a podcast and I think I referenced it on um, a previous episode that I recorded (laughs) referencing podcasts on podcasts, (laughs) which I know we're going to talk about later too, but um, there was one that it was talking about how, you know, folks that live in larger bodies or are uh, characterized, you know, quote unquote obese, um, that they'll be told, you know, you can't have this surgery because you're overweight but then they're told the best way to lose the weight would have bariat- would be to have bariatric surgery. It's like, okay, so do I need to worry about like going under or not? It's, you know, there's, there's so many things. And I think it's really hard too, because when I've talked to different people who are, you know, physicians or work in the medical community, it's like, it's the, it's, that's the weight normative approach that we've all learned. And I even think about like my own schooling, obviously not a medical provider, but you know, we were always taught if you're working with somebody with a chronic condition, like, and they're overweight, the best thing to do is prescribe losing five to 10% of your weight. Like that's the first thing ever to do. And how do we do that? Excessive exercise and caloric restriction. And it's like, it's so, it's, it's so hard to switch, to switch that in. Um, yeah. And even like in the, the women's health world, when I worked at Planned Parenthood, um, like the different, Um, sized equipment you need to have doing women's exams and the different um, exam tables that you're going to have and different gowns. If somebody's sitting there in a gown that doesn't fit them, then that's going to, you know, make their whole experience in the office not so great either. It feels good to know that there's, you know, people in the healthcare space and the medical profession, like yourself, who are aware of these things. And yeah. And even getting connected with you has helped me a ton over like the last six months. Um, Cause I um, being here and in the pandemic and not knowing people like I'm 30 pounds heavier than I was when we moved here and um, like struggled with that. And previously, I didn't even say that earlier, previously, like in high school, had disordered eating um, and didn't even know that that's what that was until like listening to podcasts like yours and seeing um, posts that talked about it. And um, so I've really have consciously tried in the last six months, especially with everything in the quarantine and um, being not able to connect with people in person to tailor what I see on social media more. Um, to not be like those fitness people that I someday want to look like <laughs> um, and have it be like medical professionals like the endocrine doc that you recommended and um, people who 
like uh, like Lizzo and people who are just in their bodies. And um, I also really adore um, Jamila, Jamila Jamil, the I Weigh podcasts. And oh. um, like it just, it helps to know so much that other people are feeling the same way and dealing with the same things. And um, if you're inundated in your social media with all of these aspirational people, you're going to, of course, think that you're not doing good enough and you're not um, trying hard enough. That was one thing that we had talked about how like there's always those like hustle hard posts and like it's all on you and you're the one who is, can make it happen and all of that. And I used to like feel guilty when I would see those things like, well, I'm not making it happen. So obviously it's my fault. Um, and being able to kind of pull back from that and see like it's more than just you it's the household that you live in it's mm -hmm. your circumstances it's the pandemic like mm -hmm. it's more than just you in your environment and just because you're not looking one way or another doesn't mean that you're failing at hustling hard there's many other things that you're hustling at rather mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. than just being um super fit and like another thing I try to tell myself um, for the couple of people that I do still follow that are very fit is this is their job. Like mm. people get paid to be in the gym and have these super expensive nutritional products and things like that. That's their income. So if they're going to be good at their job, then they need to look a certain way or do certain things versus right. me. I'm good at my job and it requires sitting or standing at a desk. Yeah. So, <laughs> not going to quite have the same result. <laughs> yeah. And it is, it is interesting. Like every time we open up our phone, if we're following those pages, it's just like a, oh, I need to be working out more or like, I need to be doing this in order to look this way. And not only yet is it, is it a hit on our self-esteem, but it's also like we're negating or we're, you know, associating food with this thing we have to do, like eat a certain way or movement with this thing we have to do. And that makes, you know, a negative association when we feel like we have to do something, um, especially when we're also associating it with in order to make my body worthy or, you know, to not feel like a failure, whatever it is. Um, and yeah, I, I thought that was one of the most significant things that I noticed helped with, um, like when I started making the shift too, was I didn't call it diversifying my feed at the time. It was like revamping my social media. Like that's what I called it. You know, it's like getting rid of all of the, you know, nothing wrong with booty band workouts, <laughs> but like, but when you're scrolling and that's all you're seeing is booty band workouts and like, yeah, movements done with incorrect form and yeah, all that stuff. It's just like this, this isn't, this isn't all that that's out there. And this is definitely not helping my, you know, body image journey or intuitive eating journey or intuitive mo movement journey. Like it was hindering it so much because I spend so much time on social media. <laughs> God. Oh my gosh. Me too. <laughs> I want to go back to what you were saying though, about, um, like your kind of your history with disordered eating or, um, yeah, tell me more about like, I'm, I'm curious to know more about that, but also just like in general, yeah. What was that like? What has, what do you think influenced, um, those behaviors or those thoughts? And then also like, what has gotten you to where you're at now? Cause I feel like there's been a massive shift somewhere along the way. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Um, so back in, I would say high school, um, like I've always been a thinner person, but I've always had thighs, I've always had thigh muscles, right? <laughs> I'm a thigh gal too. Yep. Always had them. <laughs> always, no matter what I did. And, um, so seeing things even back then in the late nineties, when I was a teenager, like everybody in media, pre-social was like a hundred pounds and um, uh, like a hanger for fashion and everybody was supposed to be super thin and all of that so that's what I aspired to and um, I had a poor relationship with a boy and just kind of spiraled into after that relationship I was going to 
make myself as pretty as I could to spite that person and have um, that bit of control back. Because, you know, when you have poor relationships, you lose the control over yourself and how you feel about yourself. And so um, that was kind of my coping mechanism with it. So I would exercise and count my calories every day so that I had exercised enough to have like 500 calories for the day. Now that would be a snack. <laughs> so if I ate like 1200 calories for the day, then I would work out down to that 500 calorie mark um, so that I would be at a de major deficit for the day. And um, got real skinny, still had thighs, of course, those never went away. <laughs> Um, but still in my own eyes was still never good enough. And no matter how much I worked out, it wasn't good enough. And I was still always trying to, um, fit that mold, even though I pretty much was in that mold, but I didn't see it. And, um, then I came to the university of Iowa for my freshman year in college. Um, and, uh, somehow auditioned or tried out for the uh, women's crew team here at Iowa, the boat, the rowing boats. I'd never done any sort of sports or any sort of athleticism or anything like that ever. They had like walk on trials and I walked by and I was like, oh, I'll give that a try. And almost died, felt like it was gonna kill me, but I did get a spot on the um, crew team. And so from there, we were working out like crazy um, we trained with the men's wrestling coach for weights. And um, so like there was no way I would have been conscious on 500 calories a day um, for that. So that was a big help. And since I had moved away from home and had more control over things, um, I felt less of a need to restrict my intake for that. Um, and off and on since then, I was only on the crew team for like a semester. I uh, ended up moving back to Des Moines. And so um, since then, off and on, I have struggled with like when life gets real chaotic, I start to think about doing that again, or I start to get real critical of my intake. Or um, here, after we moved here and I had gained some weight, I tried um, intermittent fasting because that was like a big thing. And everybody was like, you lose so much weight and this and that. And like, I lost 10 pounds and um, my appetite completely went away. So like, even when I could in my window eat, I was like, meh, don't really want to. And um, just didn't have the effect that I wanted to. And then I felt even worse about myself because I was restricting and I wasn't getting the results that I wanted and wasn't good enough, you know? Um, so thankfully I stumbled upon, um, like you and your podcast and all of the people that, um, you work with. And it reminded me that like, this is one part of my life, not the whole thing. And, um, like I may be in a bigger body now, but it doesn't make me any less valid. Um, and so I'm still kind of working on that bit, but, um, I, haven't struggled so much with the restricting uh, in the last year or so, which has been definitely a positive. Um, so it's never, you're never like over it. And then you never are like, oh, well, I don't, I don't need to do that anymore. Like it's always still kind of there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That control piece that you mentioned, um, man, when I learned more about that, cause I, um, talk about a lot, I go to therapy. Um, and it wasn't until I've had two therapists and the one that I have now freaking lover, man. And I, I know, I know that I am her favorite patient. There is no doubt in my mind. I am her favorite. <laughs> Doesn't everybody think that, <laughs> you know, but yeah, she explained to me the whole control piece of it. When we feel out of control, we the one thing that we can control is how much we move, how much we eat, like we can control our bodies. Whoa. That really put a lot into perspective because I was able to like trace back through, you know, when I was even younger, you know, back to tracing it back to, you know, family, family things. And that's how it all started. I learned from a very young age to gain control and 
family situations where I had none um, by controlling my body and doing workouts in the middle of the night. And I, I laugh because it's like, whoo, hot dog, I'm in a better place now, but you're totally right. It, it never goes away. Even as I'm working on getting certified as an intuitive eating counselor, as I preach this shit on the podcast, there's still a piece of me that when I'm eating a bag of chips, I still question it. Or, you know, I, in the middle of the night, when I feel like life is falling apart, or even if it's, I, if it doesn't feel that extreme, I still go try to find a six week program to follow, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't ever go away. Um, but I think that like the power is in realizing, like being able to wake up in those situations and be like, oh, I know this isn't the right thing to do. Yeah. Just even being able to identify, oh, this is what I'm doing right now. Yes. Like I'm trying to control shit again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it's also hard to not, it's also hard to not then judge yourself for doing it, you know? Oh yeah. So much so, because then you're like, well, now I know I'm doing it and I know I'm not supposed to be doing it. And this is the thing that I want I to do. know better. It's like, <laughs> exactly. it's like, we tell ourselves I should know better than to eat the ice cream. I'm going to gain weight. But then it's mm-hmm. like, then you get to the place where we're at now. And it's like, I should know better than I should know better. It's like, holy <laughs> shit. This is, it's like, and again, it just comes back to like so much self-criticism. And um, one thing that I'm really working on is um, cultivating more self-compassion. And I think that, man, just in general, I think most humans could use more self-compassion and that would, you know, that would solve a lot of problems, but um, yeah, it's hard. But I think even it's been really helpful for me to connect with, with you and with um, the other women like that I chat with regularly through, you know, Instagram or whatever um, on Zoom sometimes just to hear each other's stories, because I think for so many people, they're going to hear exactly what you just said and be like, oh shit, (laughs) I feel validated and oh shit, I probably shouldn't, you know, like this isn't good for me anymore. Um, Exactly. Yeah. And like, oh shit, I'm not the only one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like they're doing it too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like you have that moment too, where it's like, oh shit, we're all just Mm -hmm. doing this to ourselves. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you've been able to find, like you mentioned, um, for you again, it's like those moments where you're feeling out of control and need control. Do you notice a pattern? Like, is it certain situations with like work or with momming or things that like maybe trigger or ca- cause you to start thinking in restrictive ways? I don't know if you've. Yeah, I think it's pattern. more um, like comparative for me. So that's probably why I focused a lot on like grooming my social media. Um, because, uh, it's always the look what they're doing and what I'm not doing. And, um, so that's definitely when I start to get those negative thoughts and, um, like, well, if I just get up at five o'clock instead of six and, uh, instead of going to bed at 11, you know, like, if the only I could change everything about everything, then I could be better at it. Look what they're doing. Um, and like my husband goes to school with people who are 22, 23. And um, sometimes when we go out together, I'm like, oh man, I'm like the frumpy old mom now. <laughs> and then start doing the comparison there. And I have to remember like, I'm not in a 23 year old's body. I'm in a 35 year old's body who's had two children. Like it's, it definitely um, can trigger it there too, because like, oh, look at all these people and what they're doing and they're tall and skinny and have great hair. Um, But they also haven't done all the things that I've done either. And so it's it's really the comparison thing um, for if I could have my 23-year-old body back kind of thing. So that's definitely what um, sets it off the most. Um, and I, I did notice today with all of the COVID stress um, that I kind of went the opposite way and started like stress eating. <laughs> which is not something I normally do. I usually go the opposite way, but today, like with all of the stress of everything, I was like, I think I'm gonna have this snack. And I think I'm gonna have this snack. And I think I'm gonna have lunch number two. Like, 
And, but I had to, like, at first I was like, what are you doing? Like, you're eating so much. And then I kind of tried to slow it down and remember, like, this is a really stressful fucking situation that you're in right now. And <laughs> give yourself a minute. Like, if you want to eat three more cashews, eat three more cashews. It's not the end of the world. And um, so before uh, I came up to do the podcast, I had a bowl of ice cream with like a handful of caramel on top of it. <laughs> oh, yum. It was so good. Yeah. That, but even just like what you were just saying, like you showed yourself self-compassion, like some compassion by being like, this situation fucking sucks. And as long as I'm living <laughs> at the end of it, like I'm winning. Um, I saw a real, I shared it. I, I can't credit the person. Cause I saw it like on, I don't remember who it was, but I shared it on my podcast page. I think I know the um, one that you're talking about and I loved it. Yeah. Where he's like, your body took you through, um, a global pandemic and you're mad at it for not looking a certain way. It was busy doing other shit, like more important. It is so true. And so I love the fact that you were able to show yourself compassion. Um, I actually have a sticky note. I have a sticky note that I put on my desk last week. It says, um, my body is good, whether I work out or not, because that has been my thing in the pandemic. Um, we have an entire like CrossFit gym in our fucking garage in our second garage. I mean, we, we've got that shit. And, and I, I think I'm, I'm going to speak for Tyler, my partner. Like we just haven't felt like going yeah. out there and it's like, for God's sakes, we're in a fucking pandemic. It's okay. You know, like the world. And then you feel guilty because you spend all that money on CrossFit equipment and you're not using it. And then you get yeah. a viral and I know I'm like, yeah. And, and, and honestly, like that's, that's another piece. It's like, I have all this fucking equipment, but like I, my body looks the way I do. Wow. I'm a piece of shit. Like there's, exactly. you know, it's yeah. It, it, it's, it's so crazy. And even what you were saying about, you know, wishing that you could have your 23 year old body. It's almost like, I mean, I'm, I'm 27 and I, I feel that way too. Like you look back on pictures and it's like, wow, I thought I was big then. I thought I was, you know, I hated my body then like, fuck, what am I doing now? You know? And, and that's just keeping it real. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I totally do that too. Like <laughs> maybe I looked good then. And I thought I didn't like, if I only knew what it was going to look like now, and then I'm like, whoa, whoa, you're fine. Knock it off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's almost like when our body changes, it's almost like a, like we have to grieve it's, I feel like it's almost like a process of grieving and, um, obviously not as intense as actually like losing a loved one or, you know, other forms of grief, but I think it is a form of grief, you know, like your body is changing. And I think we identify so much with our body too, that that's probably what it is. It's like, a, we lose a piece of our identity and not being the, the girl with abs anymore, or not being the one that has like, you know, the whatever insert, whatever, you know, body part there. Um, I'm just making that connection, like thinking how, I don't know, for me, I, I don't know if that, if that lands with you at all, but yeah, not being the one who always wore a small and then no longer being the one who always wore a medium. You're like, Oh, well, look how I'm progressing in the more wrong way, but it's not the wrong way. It's just a way. Like I'm trying to tell myself, this is the body I'm in right now. And it's different than it was 10 years ago. And it's going to be different 10 years from now. Doesn't necessarily mean one is better or worse. It's just in this point in time, this is where I'm at. And uh, sometimes that works and sometimes. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to look at it. Um, one thing we wanted to chat about was the armchair expert episode 315. Yes. We wanted to, to talk more about it. Tell me your thoughts. Yeah, I thought it was a fascinating podcast. They were talking about um, like the food industry and how um, ingredients in food and marketing of food has drastically changed since like the 1950s, I think it was, and um, how that has changed our, I don't even know, like food as a whole. Um, so even the foods that you get at the grocery store that you would think would be the same foods that you would have gotten back in the 60s are different. And even if it says it's the same thing, it's different ingredients. And um, 
that it's all been marketed towards increased consumption because that's where the profit comes from. Um, and Dax, I am absolutely in love with the podcast. And I'm like, I want to be their best friends. <laughs> um, was referencing they some like chip marketer or something um, was going through the flavors that they were going to try. And this one specific flavor didn't last as lasted too long. And so they were like, well, we can't use that one because we want the flavor to be shorter so that you want to eat more. <laughs> it's like, none of this, a lot of this is not even in our control. We don't even know what's going on. Like the, the advertisement of um, Bet You Can't Eat Just One. I'm like, no, you can't because they've been formulated to not be able to just eat one. So it's not your failure as a person. It's that marketing being successful or that science or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, I, it's, it's so hard for me because like when people talk about like ingredient labels, I think it really toes the line between like diet culture and true curiosity about health. But yeah, that the marketing of products, we talk about it in like in intuitive eating. We talk about the way they almost sexualize or like sensualize, sensualize. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like certain foods, like chocolate, it's like a woman, like eating it really Mm -hmm. sensually or even marketing things like uh, lean cuisine, right? Like just in the word lean, right? If you're going to be lean, you're going to eat this. So yeah, like the marketing aspect of stuff, um, like the guilt-free. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. As if like a full fat version makes me feel guilty. Like there's no morality <laughs> yeah. in food here, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's so many things. Like I think the marketing of, of food, um, and that's really where like, I see the diet culture, but then also like the like American beauty culture and like the objectification Mm -hmm. of women and all of that, like collide into this like disgusting explosion of making us feel like shit about ourselves. (laughs) Exactly. You know, preying on our insecurities and and all that. Um, Yeah. I think, I think like the marketing piece was the one part that I was like, oh yeah, this is cool. And I like wanted to look more into it, especially when you mentioned the, the, the chip, like how they, the taste was like short, yeah, too short or too long or whatever. There's a page on Instagram, um, food science, babe. And she like breaks down, she's a food scientist. She like breaks down different ingredients and like claims. And it would be really cool to like hear what she has to say about that because it's so intriguing. There were, there were some parts of it, like they kept talking about like food addiction and I'm like not on board with the whole food addiction thing. Mm. Um, there are so many yeah, there's much more intelligent people out there that can better explain it. But I think the big thing with food addiction, they say like food lights up the reward center of your brain, just like cigarettes Mm -hmm. or like cocaine, but it's like, so does hugging a child. (laughs) Like when a mother sees her child, um, her, that part of her brain also lights up, but like, we don't consider her addicted to her child. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) that's like one part for me. I was like, ah, the food addiction piece, but yeah, the, the marketing aspect of it is, it is fascinating. And then he was also talking about the, um, like, anthropology of it all. Like, back in caveman days, if your body retained fat, you were more capable and more likely to reproduce. And so we weeded out the people, not weeded out, but more people were created that hold fat so that you could then reproduce. And so it wasn't really an issue until food became so available. And then our bodies are just doing what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to hold the fat so that you can reproduce. And then we're like, oh, we don't really like that anymore. If we could, we just weed that out. (laughs) There's a book about that too, that goes through like, now we're like demonizing our innate our body's like innate ability to protect itself and like survive. Um, And then even when you then trace like body, like body size across time, even in like the Victorian age, the larger bodies, they were, you know, praised because it meant you could afford food and you were wealth, you know, you were wealthy. Um, And then it gets to the point when we start hating on larger bodies because 
black bodies were larger and oh my gosh, I literally have fearing the black body by Sabrina, Dr. Sabrina strings sitting on my bed right there. I haven't started reading it yet, but yeah. So it's like, I think looking at like the evolution of body size changes and when it was pleasing versus not, God, there's a lot to it. Yeah. And it's been so, like you were mentioning, like, so, um, I want to say anglicized, like where, um, with the whole like rise of, um, England and all of that colonies and things like that, they were the ones who had the power. So then they're the ones whose bodies that everybody wanted to look like. And then, um, uh, how it kind of all shifted that way. Yeah. It's like, it's fascinating and it's angering and it's like, I want to learn more about it. And I also don't want to hear about things that make me mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think it's weird. Cause it's like, a, um, it's like the intersection of so many different disciplines. Like it's not just like medicine and healthcare, but it's also, you know, anthropology and history oh. and, you know, all these, you know, social, social sciences or social justice. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, I think that's why sometimes like I feel defeated. Like it stops me in my tracks from even wanting to, you know, do anything. So it's like, there's, I don't even, do I even know what I'm talking about? Cause it's like, you learn a new perspective or a new issue. Um, and it's like everything that I thought I knew, I now have to, you know, re-examine all of it. And it's almost like that imposter syndrome sets in, like, am I actually equipped to deal with this? <laughs> am I actually equipped to have these conversations? Um, Cause it feels like such a big problem that like one person can't have any impact on it. Yes. Yeah. And I think when you start thinking about like the intersections of, you know, diet culture and racism and mm -hmm. classism and ableism, it's like, really feels defeating. Yeah. And like, um, learning about, I remember in nursing school, however, millions of years ago, um, <laughs> learning about like food deserts and then never hearing about it again until just recently. And like forgetting that that was something I had learned about. That's a thing. And for me, it's just something that I learned about once and not something that I have to deal with every single day of my life. And so like, for like judging people on their food choices when all they have within 10 blocks is a 7-Eleven, you know, like it's just disheartening to be like, well, how can you even fix that problem if I can't go put a grocery store in or, you know, like, it becomes so overwhelming and then you feel bad for not having thought about it for the last 10 years because it wasn't something you had to deal with and but now, like, I, I feel so glad that we are able to have these kind of conversations. And like, I am able to talk to my kids about it and be like, well, just because somebody's in a bigger body doesn't mean that they chose to be in a bigger body or doesn't mean that they're making bad choices all the time. Or um, so we've tried to talk about that a lot, too. And even like, um, I don't remember which kid it was but he was describing something and he was like, and it was fat. And, and I was like, and it's not really one good or bad to be fat. Right. And he's like, yeah, that was just what I was saying. It was and so like, I was like, Oh no, did I just put that onus on it? That it's a good or bad thing <laughs> by trying to address it. <laughs> that's so good though. That's, that's so, so like, cool. I, I actually had a friend who um, she listens to the podcast and in one episode, she said, I'm like having a reaction to the word fat being used so much. And I explained to her like, you know, fat is really just a descriptor. It's been kind of reclaimed. And I, I feel like I can't necessarily say that as somebody that lives, lives in like a straight size body, but um, mm -hmm. yeah. So I think it's great that you have those conversations and um, yeah, hopefully they don't, he doesn't think like fat is bad. <laughs> right. Did I just ruin it all? <laughs> but it's, it's probably good that you said that because who knows, maybe, if, you know, in a year mm -hmm. he's going to be in school and some kid's going to say something and he's going to remember the conversation that he had with his mom a year ago yeah. when fat's not good or bad. Um, there's no morality to it, but yeah, I think the whole, what you were mentioning about like food deserts and, um, like there's, we have such little personal responsibility when it comes to our health in so many situations. Like, 
Yeah. Yeah. For somebody like me, who's extremely privileged, has access to a gym and, you know, fresh produce and, you know, essential oils or whatever (laughs) I need to manage my stress therapy, like all that stuff, connection, the internet. Yeah. Yeah. I see that there's like more personal responsibility, but then when you think about somebody that doesn't have the privileges, um, like all the things that you just mentioned, doesn't live in an environment where they can, um, safely and easily access, a grocery store or, um, you know, a fitness facility, they don't have Wi-Fi, Um, so they can't access all their free resources online. Mm-hmm. It really puts it into perspective, like how much personal responsibility do we actually have? Um, which is like another thing that just irks me when I see all these, like no excuses posts on the internet or, exactly. you know, like if you just work hard enough, if you're just disciplined enough, it's like, yeah, I can see you saying that to people who have all the privileges in the world, like you do, or like mm-hmm. like I do. Um, and even then, I think that it's there's way more that goes into it than just self discipline. Right. But it's like, you know, acknowledge acknowledge your, you know, all the things that you have working in your favor to allow you to say that. So yes, yeah. Man, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. I know, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I love it. Um, what other things? I know we're it's seven thirty eight, but what other um, important messages you have? Um, I'm a huge supporter of Planned Parenthood, and I think that healthcare is a right for everyone, and every type of healthcare should be available, no matter your socioeconomic status or any of that, body size, any of that. Um, and I think grooming your social media (laughs) is something we all need to work on um and that it's important to know not only like what you're putting in your body but also what you're putting in your brain every day like if if you um are constantly putting in guilt and constantly looking at things that make you feel bad you're gonna feel bad and you're gonna not be able to get past that um whereas like if you try to follow more people who are body inclusive and talk about, um, things that are important, then it, the other stuff won't seem as, uh, weighted, I think. I think that's such, such a good, um, yeah, encouraging thing. And I think it's helpful for people to hear it from somebody that's not, um, not a health and fitness presence on Instagram. Yeah. I'm not promoting a page or anything. (laughs) But you can follow Laura if you want to. (laughs) Yeah, I just think that that's, um, it's, it hits differently when you hear it from somebody who's done it themselves. And it's not like somebody who quote unquote knows to do it. Right. Like for me, it's something I promote all the time, but, um, cause it's part of my job, but for you as somebody that has truly noticed a shift, um, and doing it, I think that that makes it really powerful. Yeah. And I'm also like, I want anybody who's thinking about therapy to go to therapy. And especially now where you can do it over telehealth, like I wasn't able to do therapy for the last two years because I couldn't take off time to go somewhere and um, not have childcare. And now I can do it at my desk. Like I highly recommend therapy. Um, My kids are in therapy. Like it's, it's such a good thing and antidepressants if you need them it's not a guilt thing <laughs> yes <laughs> I started an antidepressant this last year and it has been I describe it like um, before I always felt like or especially since moving here um, I was in a pool and occasionally like my nose and my mouth would be able to get above water Um, And then starting the antidepressant, like at first, I felt like I was standing on a step stool. And most of the time, I could breathe. Um, And just getting better from there, like, and um, the therapy along with it, and just having that sense where you can take a breath again. Um, If anybody is even considering it, like, talk to somebody about it, because there's no reason to suffer through it if you don't have to like Mm. if you've got that access oh that's so important I think too mentioning um that you know therapy is a lot more accessible I actually just got my first sponsor of the podcast 
is BetterHelp. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I, I feel like I talk about therapy all the time, but I was like, man, I was at a point where, um, when I was like in between jobs, I didn't have therapy and I was paying for it out of pocket mm-hmm. or yeah, I didn't have therapy cause I didn't have insurance with my yep. job. And then I got insurance and I was paying like almost like 350 fucking dollars a month. Whoa. Yeah. It was insane. And then on top of it, um, I was having to pay the out-of-pocket expense for therapy, which is like $150. And yeah. it got to a point where I was like, even on a sliding scale, I couldn't afford it. And so I was like, I talk about therapy on the podcast so freaking much, but like, what about people that don't have access to affordable therapy? So I reached out to BetterHelp and they, um, it's way more affordable than what I was paying when I didn't have insurance. And yeah, I've used them before. You have? And their sliding scale. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. I think those are all such good points. Like go to therapy if you need it, people, like if, if it's accessible and if you can, um, and what you groom your, groom your social media, that's therapy in and of itself. And then I, I just have one more like parenting. Um, I said this to Kobe the other day and he really liked it. I said, as parents, we're never not going to fuck things up. We're always going to fuck things up as parents and we just have to work through it. Um, And so like, I have to, I've reminded myself that a couple of times today when I snapped at my five-year-old who has COVID (laughs) and then I was like, why did you do that? He has COVID. He feels terrible. (laughs) But I mean, he was kind of being an asshole. So like just to any parents, like, just remember, you're always going to fuck it up at least. Well, you're just always going to fuck it up. And then it's always going to get, it's always going to be fine. Like it'll work out. And just remember it, like giving yourself that breath of instead of, oh, I fucked that up. Like, no, like it's, you're going to do that again. <laughs> Self-compassion. You're really working on that compassion. I'm working on it. Oh, it's hard. It is so hard. And isn't that just like life in general? Like you're going to fuck shit up in life. You're going to fuck yeah. up. You're yeah. going to fuck up your body acceptance. You're going to fuck up being a parent. You're going to, you know, yeah, you're going to mess up. That's such a good point. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it's just so helpful to talk to like, yeah, to talk to somebody like you who, again, you're not, you're not like a, a person that's trying to promote a service or a product. You're just like, yeah, you want people to feel better. I do. I want people to feel better. And I want people to know that everybody feels this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. I'm not the only ones. I'm, I know I finally realized I wasn't the only one. Uh, well Laura this has been so much freaking fun yes I agree me too I needed this today thanks again everyone for tuning in to another episode of give them the bird if you're enjoying the podcast feel free to rate review and subscribe over on iTunes I will see you back here in two weeks for another episode but in the meantime go give them the bird